sometimes people know you better than you know yourself. She knew I had that creative bug. She knew I had it and she knew it wasn't ridiculous. And she knew that I was just asking her in a way to get permission. Am I crazy? Should I do this? And then I did it and it was the most incredible time that I'd ever had. And I just kept it in my mind. I said, I want to be able, whatever it is I figure out, whether I stay in chemical engineering or I go and, I don't know, weave baskets, I want to have that joy. I want to have that joy of creativity. Welcome to the Peyton Pipette Podcast. My name is Jeremy Utley, and it's my job to illuminate the tactics of world-class performers across domains. As a day job, I teach at the Stanford D School, helping students learn what it takes to come up with ideas. But I've realized I need to stay in the classroom learning myself. And this podcast is my classroom. Hey, hey, I'm Marcus Hollinger. I lead marketing and creative at Reach Records and Atlanta-based independent record label. And I'm also co-founder for Portrait Coffee, where we are seeking to reimagine the picture that comes to mind for folks in specialty coffee. I'm so excited to pull up my desk alongside my good friend and fellow learner, Jeremy. And I think y'all are going to love what we have for you this season. We've got some amazing stories on deck and we can't wait to dive in and learn alongside you. So grab your pipette and your paintbrush and let's make something beautiful together. Here's the fun thing. So I happened to be on Otto's podcast a while back, Perry and I, with Otto and Kwaku. They do a thing where they invite a guest and the other has to kind of guess from context clues what's up with that guest. So Marcus, we're going to put the same to you right now. Otto joined the line, call it one minute ago. He only said a couple words, but let's say nothing else. Marcus, why did I invite Otto to the Paint and Pipette podcast today? Okay, I love this game. And we're going to crush this together <laughs> as a team. I'll kind of like approach this like a game of Clue. And I'm going to use some questions. I'm going to use okay. some context. I'm going to use some questions. He doesn't know so, the rules. He doesn't know he's breaking the rules. I yeah, love it. Doesn't this. matter. <laughs> okay. I don't, I don't, yeah. If I don't that's, know the rules, that's, that's your it. whole stick, bro. That's your whole thing, bro. <laughs> yeah, that's my thing. I don't know the rules. Yeah. Um, so, Otto, you're a creator. Yes. I know that because you opened by saying, "I'm sorry, guys. I'm exporting this short mm-hmm. that I meant to send to our friends." So you know what? Mm-hmm. Here we go. You're here because you're a creator. Yes, that's very true. Absolutely. So now I want to know about this short <laughs> that you're creating. Okay. This is really up Jeremy's alley. I never met you, Marcus. So I guess because of the association, I'm going to assume it's up your alley as well. It is. But should yeah, I reveal yes. what I am and all that stuff? Like, <laughs> Also, reveal it. Reveal okay. it. Okay. Primarily, I'm an actor. That's how, you know, I pay my rent and stuff. And I've been in television and movies. I've done a whole bunch of stuff. And it's a thing that I discovered when I was in college, randomly by a girlfriend who dared me to do a play. And then I found myself after graduating college, trying to figure out what I wanted to do with my life. And I wrote a mission statement, sent it to my best friends and said, and didn't even mention acting, just wanted to know Like I wanted to find myself, you know, I went to school for chemical engineering and all that stuff and just found myself saying, huh, 
this feels like the quote air quote right thing to do, but it doesn't feel like the right thing to me. So then I went and started taking classes, fell in love with acting like four or five years after I graduated. And then the rest is history. Right now I'm creating, which I know is going to buzz Jeremy up. I'm just, I can't wait. I think I mentioned this when I met you before is like, I have an association of friends who are fellow creators in different parts of the entertainment field. And two of my dear friends, we have like a, a consortium. They're married. He is a bassist, an incredible musician, and she is a costume designer. And we used to get together, kick it in my house, listen to records and all that stuff. And we would just come up with random artistic projects to do. Hey, you got an iPhone? Okay, let's shoot this scene. Like, what's the scene going to be about? Hmm, I don't know. Let, we'll figure it out. Well, we'll shoot Cora because she looks good in this. And and suddenly we just started making these short movies that are just by heart, right? Like, it's like, hmm. you got a weekend? Okay, let me get my iPhone. Let me get some things. We'll, on the way there, I'll figure out what we're going to shoot and we'll try to shoot it and edit it. And then you're going to put music on it. And then we're going to like see where this goes. It might not be a movie. It might turn into a song. It might turn into a book. It might turn into anything. But it's like, it's like we're playing in the sandbox is what we're doing. Yes. You know what I mean? And so what happens while I'm editing this film that we put together, and this is like an internal thing that we're doing ourselves. We're not even like, we're making a film of going to Sundance. Like that's later. Like right now we're learning the language that we love. What do we dig out of each other, right? And so I'm getting so much of a kick out of editing my friends and then mm. finding mm. things in the edit and then sending it to them. And they're like, oh, yo, that's dope. Let's put this in it and let's put that. Oh yeah. And then it's just this back and forth, back and wow. forth. It's like- It's like, discovery. It's discovery yeah, yeah, it's within exactly, the creation. Exactly. Yes, yes. I wrote a blog post about this group. I referenced your practice briefly, yes. but uh -huh. tell folks because part of the you know scope of this podcast is just to understand what the creative craft. Mm -hmm. So maybe tell us a little bit about why you meet with this group and what role it performs in your life. I've been very reasonably successful as an actor. Like I've gotten great work and it's always somebody else's work and it's, it's fun, it's fulfilling, but there's a level of it where sort of childishly, I just want to play with my friends, right? Like there's something lovely and beautiful about people that you love and trust that are on their front foot and want to just like play. And there's no stakes to it. There's emotional stakes to it because, you know, your friends, just like when I wrote that mission statement, I sent it to my good friends because they can hold me accountable to things. Right. Mm. And so these mm. two, I have the highest regard for as artists in their individual fields. And it's also like I want to start directing my own things, but I'm not a director. I didn't go to NYU. Right. KJ, who is the bassist. He's never done a movie score before, but why not? Like we're like basics putting this together and figuring out what our aesthetic is. And it's, and it's something, I'm not even sure if I'm answering your question, but the joy that I get out of it is having been an actor for 25 years, knowing what the business is, knowing what directors do and actors do and DPs do and so forth. There's something about doing it viscerally yourself. Mm, mm. And also with a lack of Netflix's huge budget and they can get a jib arm crane and they can get this and they can get that. We just got my iPhone. And then it really makes me appreciate 
what all of those people have been doing all of those 25 years. I haven't been ignorant of it, but now I know what all of that stuff is. Mm. And then it just sparks more creativity out of my head because I'm looking at this and I go, well, if I had to do this again, this is what I would do. What's the last time it sparked something you go, oh, I want to do this next time? It has to do with camera angles and the way the story that we randomly shot is revealing itself. There are different things that we just sort of on the fly thought, oh, it would be cool. Like I have this fake, really realistic looking gun that I've never, ever, you know, I had it for like a an acting class at one point. Right. And I was like, hey, I've got this gun. It's really like real looking. Let's let that be the reveal of what this lady is doing in this thing. Like she's putting on her makeup and then suddenly she reveals this gun. Right. And there are ways in shooting, which I'm going to drop a name. I've worked with Martin Scorsese before. So he's like, explain this stuff to me. But it's Martin Scorsese explaining it, right? And so once you start to see what is in the frame and that a difference in millimeters, how much you put in the frame and what information is in the frame, you can have a legendary director like Scorsese tell it to you. But in the moment when you're doing it and then you see what it reveals to the audience, to the audience being yourself in this case, or them, it's like, oh, if I have to shoot that next time, I can put this item there, or I can push the camera in this slowly, because that's what the emotional reveal is. You're seeing that in the edit, though, or like as you're watching this footage, because you said earlier, I see this thing in the footage and now I'm sending it. So it's this almost iterative. Yes, yes. And what they pick up, like we shot it, we weren't worried about sound, but I realized that as I'm editing it, I got to take all the sound out because I need to look at the picture and watching something silently as opposed to hearing all the sounds is a completely different experience such that it was giving me insights just watching it silently. Do you know what I mean? Taking away one of your senses allows you to focus on different things that you wouldn't have picked up on. And suddenly this camera angle even makes more sense to me. Oh, and I wish I just pulled back to reveal like something that she was wearing on her back kind of thing, because that adds to the story and it builds the suspense. And then you start to understand timing. If you don't have something that's going one, two, three, four, five in your head, like music, you realize it's already happening in your heart, right? Like you, Mm -hmm. we as human beings understand timing. And so when it looks off, you can't even hear it. It just looks off and you're like, ooh, one frame that you might add or take away makes a huge difference. Then you go and watch something like what Jane Campion just did with uh, the uh, power of the dog. And you go, oh, that's why she's who she is. Or you watch Mm -hmm. the people that you've admired all your life and you go, got it. I understand Mm -hmm. viscerally now what these people are pulling off. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. There's a couple of things that are jumping out to me as you describe Mm -hmm. that. My heart is racing because I'm in this moment. I'm in this moment with you. The thing that kind of springs to the front of my mind is you're playing with Mm -hmm. professionals and that sometimes can seem like those two realities are at odds with Mm -hmm. one another. Mm -hmm. How do you get professionals to play? The best of them are the ones who are always playing. That's what Mm -hmm. I've learned in my career. I've worked with Meryl. I just said Scorsese and I don't mean to drop names, but like when I was working with Marty on his television show, 
at least the way he spoke to us actors, it was mainly me and uh, Bobby Cannavale and a lot of people. And it was just fun. He wants you to play. I've worked with Tarantino. The same thing. You walk on set, at least the set that I walked on, he's got music going, he's making jokes. And no matter how serious or dour your scene is, he's trying to loosen you up and also being like, hey, I've hired you. I think you're good. So come on, let's play. You know what I mean? So I think when it becomes a matter of the money and like we're running out of time and all that stuff and like people start to make it a business. It is a business, but that's when the creativity goes away because you start to get stiff. The pros play. Has there been a time, maybe to kind of go in the opposite direction of where we recently went, where it didn't feel like play and you felt the impact of that? Yeah, yeah. You know, there's pressure because, you know, you're doing these things. There's a lot of money. They've got a hundred million, three million dollar, three hundred million dollar budget. Once you start talking about those numbers, actually, those numbers don't matter. It depends on who the producer is. Some people are financing it this, themselves and this is their, you know, they've remortgaged their house to make this movie. And so there's some pressure and there's some people that don't know how to play. Right. And so it becomes a job. Right. It becomes like you need to hit this mark. You need to do this thing. And then once somebody tells you, you have to make this free throw right now, right now, right now, unless you're a pro who can let that go, it's going to freeze you up. And so I learned early to not try to not let that hurt you. You know, Hmm. does it affect the kinds of projects you select or can you only know that after the fact? You can only know it after the fact, but it definitely affects, you start to hear about certain people. There's people that like through my friends who might have worked with them, I'm like, oh, is that a cool crew? Okay. Is that a cool person who's directing? Okay. That's great. I'm at a sort of a level now where I can have a meeting with the director or the production Mm -hmm. crew or whatever, and you get a sense. And the good directors are also the people who will call me and be like, hey, let's just rap. Let's just talk. Do you know what I mean? And you get this a little bit of that feeling there, and then you start to understand how people are. But it's a crapshoot sometimes. What you said about not knowing how to play, it hit the heart. I'm wondering, you described it in the sense of letting budgets and deadlines and things like that mm-hmm. get to you. I guess I just want to hear a little bit more about that, because I'm sure yeah. that's something that people encounter a lot, especially in big industries and high risk high reward scenarios, like some of the ones that you described, are there any telltale signs of, hey, here's how you kind of get into a play mode? I get you. It's an art form I feel all in and of itself because the basic of acting is you you can't act in a vacuum and you have to play with people who are willing to play because this business, because it's motivated by ultra rich celebrities, right? You think it's about that celebrity who is a great actor or whatever, but acting is reacting. Acting is allowing yourself to react and let yourself go to what's happening in the moment, right? And so your scene partner, which my scene partner might be Marcus, right? If you're not showing up, there's no brilliance that's going to save this scene, right? Mm. I'm waiting to see what you do and you're waiting to see what I do, right? And if one person isn't being generous, then both people or all the people have to fail. Wow. And so wow. there's a letting wow. go, right? It's, yeah. <laughs> you know, also, 
you remind me, we had some folks from Second City at Stanford doing I a- I was just going to say improv is the best way to do that, but go ahead. Uh-huh. Well, there's just this beautiful expression that I stuck in my mind and I try to say it. I've actually been meaning to say it to Marcus, we should do it, but I keep forgetting, but I'll say it now and maybe you can hold us accountable. Sure. But before, you know, we kind of had a backstage moment before we all went on stage mm-hmm. and the folks from Second City was Kelly Leonard and Pietro, mm-hmm. I can't think of his last name. And mm-hmm. I apologize, Piero, if you listen to this. I'll look it up. We'll link it in the show notes. But they did this thing where they said, break a leg. And then it kind of went around the circle, break a leg, break a leg, break a leg. Got your back, got your back, got your back, got your back. And it was just this beautiful moment where it's one thing to say, break a leg, like do a good job. But then the got your back, it's like, to me, it speaks to what you just said about being generous. Yeah. It's Mm -hmm. I am committed to being generous to you. And I know you're committed to being, and what that means in in this context is we're both going to show up. Yeah. We're both going to really give it everything we got. Mm-hmm. But to me, even just that, the simple interaction there reinforces yeah. that value, reinforces that mindset, you know? Yeah. The great, let's say, pick a sport basketball teams, you can have five superstars on the team, but they're going to have a tough time playing a team of five people. Do you know what I mean? Because no matter how spectacular you are, no matter how great you're passing and all that stuff, if you are not in that together, you can't win against a team that knows each other, trusts each other, and will like, you know, go to the mat for each other. That's yeah. And that's what improv is, right? You can't yeah. be good unless you, first of all, stop thinking and allow the other person to create something for you to then work off of. You said you can't be good unless you stop thinking. Yes. Improv, I've never done it because I'm embarrassed to say it scares the crap out of me because I know improv and it's all about letting go. If you walk onto an improv stage worried about being funny, you're not going to be funny. But as soon as you walk onto an improv stage and the person looks at you and goes, hi, Dr. Utley, you say yes. Hello. What can I what? do for you? Yes. You Let me see your tonsils. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Open wide. Yeah. You see what you just did? And then now we're playing, right? But if I'm like, well, let me think of what how a funny doctor would say this, you're done. Right. Because we're the timing is off, it's done. You know what I mean? Nah, bro. Like you can't do it that way. Yeah. Jamie and I just finished coaching a boot camp together there at the D school, and that's an opener that we mm-hmm. give is to put executives in this position where they're doing improv yeah. together to, to reinforce this idea that, hey, innovating and being creative is about being obvious. Don't try to be creative. Mm-hmm. Don't think about what an innovator would do. Mm-hmm. And so I'm, I'm really curious. You talked about the greats like Martin's Marty. I'm calling mm-hmm. Marty on your credit. Yeah. I want to know, or maybe you could tell us about a time as, that you had to facilitate the play environment and how you approach it. It starts before you get the part. I think that a lot of this is based on, it's a business, but everybody wants to make sure they can, they're able to work with you, right? And so like the human factor of being able to relate to a, another human being is so important. The talent is like, on a level, it doesn't matter. On a level, it doesn't even have anything to do with why you got the part. I really believe that, right? It might be that, well, when I'm standing next to Natalie Portman, it looks right in the frame. And that's it, right? So I just happen to be the guy that they thought looked good next to her. Okay, cool. That's what's going to happen. But the play, it's the hardest thing I think for humans to do is to let go of your ego enough to allow somebody to fill it. 
it can't happen alone, right? And so you are looking at a person who you have to, in the moment, trust to say, I'm just an empty vessel here. You fill it and then I'll fill you. And then like back and forth. That's how these scenes go. Do you know what I mean? And like I mentioned Meryl, that's one of the places where I learned it the most, right? I was in a play with Meryl years ago. Everybody who's listening probably knows who Meryl Streep is. She's one of our national treasures of an actress, one of the most accomplished people on the planet in that business. And she is the first one into the rehearsal hall and the last one to leave. And she's the one who's playing the most. You think at this point, she doesn't have to do anything, right? You're Meryl Streep. You got 12 Oscars, whatever you're doing. But like she comes in and she wants to know what she's wearing and she's playing with you and she's improving with you and all of that stuff. And you realize she is allowing us to fill her with the moments. It's not the other way around. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? You think she's manufacturing this stuff? Yes, she is. Her creative energy is based on what she is getting from the world. Do you know what I mean? And I think that our imagination, that is the thing that as an artist, especially, and in creativity, that is the muscle that only is functional when you let yourself go and imagine that you don't know the answer. What are you going to do, right? If you already know what the answer is, or you think you already know what the answer is, you already know how you're going to answer to whatever Jeremy improvs me with, then you know what? It's over because there's a whole world over here that you've missed, right? Because you are so focused on one thing. But when you let things go, when you allow yourself to just be, and that's a hard thing to do because we want to be good. Who wants to be bad, right? But good is something that is not even quantifiable. So if you're worried about that stuff, well, you're screwed, right? But if you're just showed up, hey, Meryl, how you doing? Okay, what are we doing? Oh, this is what this scene is about. All right, boom, let's try this. Let's try it this way. Let's try it standing on our head. Let's do cartwheels. Let's do it while we're eating pudding. I don't know. And then find it. Do you know what I mean? And that's the thing. That's music. That's everything. That's art. That's writing. That's everything that we do. And it's just about letting go, which I know sounds, you know, like woo-woo, but letting go is the thing that you have to do. What I come back to, as you talk about Meryl, I think about anyone who's great. I think about Kobe. You know, I saw a documentary of Dirk Nowitzki and, Mm -hmm. you know, they're in the same kind of era. I'm from Dallas, so I'm partial to the Mavs. I'm sorry. But I love Dirk. He was, Dirty I mean, he had an incredible so shot. Yeah, yeah. The, the, the documentary, for what it's worth, is called The Perfect Shot. It's like German engineered shot. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, but, that he does. Oh, and that's everything, you know. Yeah, yeah. But one of the things that struck me in that documentary was, and I've mentioned this so many times because it's, it's so encouraging to me, I think, mm-hmm. to stay in the gym, so to speak, mm-hmm. is they talked about how, you know, the Lakers, they'd be on the road, they'd be going everywhere, and the team would be at a club or at a party or at a mm-hmm. restaurant. But Kobe's not there. And anybody who goes, hey, where's Kobe? You know where he is? He's in the gym. In the gym. And on the one hand, just like you said about Meryl, I mean, my first thought was, Kobe doesn't have to be in the gym. He's Kobe. And then I realized, no, he's Kobe because he's in the gym. It reminds me of an experience. I came back. So after coming back from this boot camp, Marcus was at Stanford for a week. The CEO of our company comes up to me and he's like, hey, I've got this thought you need to listen to this Mr. Beast podcast and learn something. And I'm like, I don't like that guy's content. I don't know. What can I learn from someone I don't like? Mm -hmm. And immediately this tension broke out, but I got past it. 
and I listened to the podcast and I exposed myself to it. And now I can't stop thinking. <laughs> I can't stop thinking about what I learned yeah. from Mr. Beast. And one of the things that I learned about from him I listen was to see his, things. It's on my mind too. We're it's, like it's, brothers from another mother here. Cause this is, I was talking with my group. I have like a group that gathers monthly. I was talking with them last night about this podcast. I already know what you're going to say, Marcus. <laughs> say it. Yes, let's go. Um, and so one of the things that he talked about in this, in the podcast episode was like his relentless pursuit of ideas. Yes. And he's like, I tried to teach myself how to lucidly dream so I can mm. come up with ideas. Mm. He says, I would look at a dog and then I would say, well, a dog, a bone. Okay. Give a dog a bone. I'm going to make yeah. a video about giving a dog a bone. And, it, yeah. and that it triggered this thought in my mind of, yo, you, you just have to be open to ideas and, yeah. and radically pursue them. And that's kind of what I hear you talking about. And I wanted to ask you about that practice of pursuing ideas or rather how to keep that muscle limber to be open. Yeah. We call it idea generation or open to stimulus that provokes ideas. But yeah, how do you warm that muscle and keep it flexible? I think of the practice work, which is what Kobe's doing in the gym or, or whatever. I always think that practice, the guarantee of practice is that whatever you're practicing at, you'll get better. Guaranteed, right? Whatever you practice. It doesn't mean you're going to be a rich movie star or anything like that, but whatever you practice, you will be good at. And whatever that practice is, you can use later, right? And so then the other thing is be careful what you practice because whatever you practice, which might even be being a jerk, that is also something that you've been practicing. But the thing that you're doing is practicing so you don't have to think about it later, right? And so Kobe is in the gym or Kobe is taking a thousand free throw shots. So when it comes down to it, he doesn't have to think it. It's in muscle memory, right? So what I'm doing with my friends, Cora and KJ, filming these quick scenes where it's like, all right, go, let's go. Okay, improv something. All right, this one is about an assassin because I have this gun. Okay, well, I can put makeup on. Okay, I've got this dress. Okay, boom, 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 go. How are we going to set it up? You sit there. I'm going to put the camera here. Oh, I got to think of what shot I want. You know, boom, 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 boom. Stop thinking. Go, go, go. Because it's a safe space in the practice area, right? Kobe's in the Lakers gym alone shooting. Nobody's there. He can work on his form or he's at the gym wherever he's doing, right? When I'm with my friends, it's a safe space. Like, you know, if it's bad, it's bad. Okay, okay, we messed up. Let's try something else. Let's look at it, right? But all of that is for then when we go to the quote real game, whatever that is, then I've got all these tools that I've been honing all this time just by playing, right? Kobe's playing, right? I've started running again because I get all these injuries and I've started running with a coach. And I realized ego's in that too, right? Just because I am a reasonably athletic person and I can put one foot in front of the other in quick succession doesn't mean I know how to run. Let me go back to the basics. Let me learn how to walk and then run and then figure out what's going on and what is personal to me and then make that a practice such that I can get through. And so everything I think of that, everything that I'm doing, including this conversation with you two, is practice. You're never not practicing. So be careful what you practice. And if you want to be creative, well, practice creative stuff, right? You know what I mean? So totally. 
you know, we just launched the 12th cohort of our accelerator and yeah. we talked about the key. This was just on Tuesday. We're having this conversation with 30 new founders at Stanford and we talked about the key distinguishing feature of a great entrepreneur is they're constantly experimenting. Yeah. They're running experiments all the time. Yep. And I said, what, but what you don't realize is what feeds a great experimental routine is a robust idea generation practice. What experiments are you going to run? You got to be, you, and you've got a constant, we call it an idea quota where every day you're generating 10 ideas for one question. The way the mind works is we want one solution to one question. Yeah. I told the students, you guys don't love ideas. I have news for you. You don't love ideas. You love idea. Ah, uh, wow. And it's the same for me. We have, yeah. it's called the Einstilling effect. It's a, yeah. it's a well-established cognitive bias where once we think of an answer, we stop looking for other answers. My book with Perry, we talk a lot about this daily practice of pushing yourself to think of more solutions than you think you need. Yeah. Because the reality is your creativity doesn't diminish. It actually increases, mm -hmm. but only if you have the expectation of your creativity increasing. You're in the boardroom. That's the game against the bulls, right? Mm -hmm. That's mm -hmm. game time, right? Yeah. When are you going to develop it? Well, it's while you're brewing coffee and you've got a question in mind and you just yep. push yourself to think of more ideas than you think you need, right? Yeah. But developing that practice, it's something that we deeply believe, mm -hmm. but folks tend to think about creativity as a binary. It's genetically yeah. inherited. Either you are or you aren't, yeah. but they don't think about that like free throws. Mm -hmm. They don't think about that like health. They don't say, oh, I ate a salad last week. I'm good. You know, yeah. but for whatever reason, whenever it comes to creativity and what creative individuals know is it requires practice. Absolutely. What people who have opted out think is, oh, I'm not creative. Yes. yes. Which is very, yeah. it's, it's very different mindset. Very different. Which I wanted to go back to something that you said earlier. We've just talked about this robust regiment or commitment to flexibility and to staying open and to ideas. But we got here because you talked about how you made a decision to switch paths from, I think I remember it's like a science background uh, chemical to, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, chemical engineering to you got dared to be in a play. And in the middle, you talked about the mission statement that you wrote. Yes. I'm curious. What was your mindset that went into this mission statement that has pushed you out? This from, We haven't talked about time. We haven't sure. talked about specifics, but I'm very curious. What were you thinking on when you went into that mission statement? I got to talk about my dad quick because both my parents were very interested in us figuring out who we were and not them forcing us into anything. That's what I felt from them. And so, but of course I went to school and I said, well, if I'm going to school, I need to get a practical education. I do like math and science. This will make me the money and then I can buy the house and then I can do all this stuff, right? But I wasn't thinking about the lifestyle that I wanted. In fact, I didn't know what it was, right? And I'd always had this creative thing in me. And so when that, random call came in at school to act in a play, just somebody that saw me walking in the street or something like that. My girlfriend, who at the time also was a chemical engineer, I called her and I was like, this lady called me, she wants me to do a play. And as soon as she, I said, she wants me to act in a play, my girlfriend started laughing at me. And I was like, yeah, no, I get it. Yeah, yeah. We got too much work to do. And she's like, no, 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 no you're going to do it. You want to do it. And so the first key for me is sometimes people know you better than you know yourself. 
She knew I had that creative bug. She knew I had it and she knew it wasn't ridiculous. And she knew that I was just asking her in a way to get permission. Am I crazy? Should I do this? And then I did it and it was the most incredible time that I'd ever had. And I just kept it in my mind. I said, I want to be able, whatever it is I figure out, whether I stay in chemical engineering or I go and, I don't know, weave baskets, I want to have that joy. I Mm. want to have that joy of creativity, right? I want to be able to do that stuff, right? And then I also had a very dear friend who's an incredible engineer, and I could see that Like I could admit to myself that I have the chops to be a pretty good engineer and all that stuff, but I don't have the creative power that this guy, my friend Warren has. Like he can come up with stuff and I'm still looking in the book, right? And Mm -hmm. I'm like, what is that for me? I'm not discounting engineering at this point, but like I want to find that thing. And so when I wrote that mission statement, it was... I didn't even say acting. I didn't even say what job I wanted, but I said, I want my life to look like this, guys, and I'm going to do what I can to figure that out. And I just realized this. One of the things that I promised myself that I still do to this day is anytime I hear myself say, oh, you know what? I've always wanted to try X, Y, Z. Go do X, Y, Z. I have guitars because one day I said, man, I love guitar music. I should play the guitar. Let me go get a guitar. Oh, you know what, man? You know, I have friends in France and I should learn. Let me go learn some French. Oh, I had this girlfriend who's Brazilian. Oh, let me. And it like it helps you find things. And so when I went and finally heard myself say, I've always wanted to try that acting thing that I did back at Cornell. Huh? Well, let me look up a class. And then I go to the class and then I'm sitting there. And for the first time, I felt like I belonged. I had no idea what I was doing. I had no idea. (laughs) But I was like, okay, I'm here with my computer book and my khaki pants, like coming right after work. But like, I felt like I was at home and I didn't know what was going to happen next. But 25 years later, this is where I am. I love it. Yeah. I think we actually do have to do a round two. And maybe actually as homework, I've, we've never done this before. And Marcus, you just give me the high sign if you think it's a good idea. But if you listen to that same Mr. Beast interview, he's a YouTuber. He's got you know crazy, crazy views. But to me, there's so many interesting things. And what I would love... To me, there's something that I've been thinking about around being willing to be a novice. And what you're doing when you're shooting, I would just go back to one of the early things I wrote in my notes that you said was... I'm a relatively successful actor, but it's always been in someone else's work. Mm -hmm. And when it's your work, you're a novice. You don't, quote unquote, don't know how to do that. One of the things that blew me away and that I've been really kind of reflecting on is it's hard to start doing something new when you see who's good at it. Like, for example, I got a blog, right? I have very few readers. And then I see somebody's got a blog. They got 100,000 readers. It's like, man, why even bother? Right. But then when you like, and Mr. Beast, right, he's got 90 million views. What he does in this interview is he talks about how it took him like seven years before he made $1 a day on YouTube. And nobody knows the seven-year story. They only know the Lamborghini selling island, you know, $10 million story, right? Mm-hmm. And to me, what I would love to dig into maybe in our next conversation is how does it feel to be a novice? How do you encourage yourself to persist? How do you make the space to do it? Because if you think even just from a return perspective, it's like you have a known return when you're on a set with Scorsese, right? Yes. The return on, I'm going to shoot this video on my iPhone is <laughs> if you just compare those two, you would yeah. never do this thing, right? Because yeah. it's like, you're not making any money. You're not, yeah. right? I'm just putting a bug in your ear on that conversation because I yeah. think 
that would be incredibly, I have this small group of people that meets like once a month, it's called Arjunto. And we met last night and this one woman was talking about how she had the courage after our meeting last month to post a blog post. It took a lot of bravery and it's not something that she ordinarily does. And the group encouraged her to do it. But to me, it just spoke to like, the challenge with doing something new is there's so many people who are so much better at it. And you've got something that you have so much better known returns on that you could be doing with your time instead, you know? And that is at the heart of the tension. I like there's a tension in the creative enterprise. So I want to stop there only because I I could keep going, bro. Like that, that's right up my alley, but absolutely. Absolutely. I, I, we could talk next time. I want to, I want to love that. Yeah. I would love that. Yes. This has been rich. I mean, this is really, really rich. Yeah, man. I appreciate you making the time, Otto. I appreciate you too for asking. I love this kind of stuff. Ever since I met you, Jeremy, like this is my bailiwick. Not that I'm some kind of expert. I'm a novice at it, but like, you mm-hmm. know what I mean? It's like, mm-hmm. it gets me going, man, because that, like to me, this is the secret to everything. So I'm willing to talk whenever you guys want. The secret to everything yeah. with Otto Asando. That's I it. Love it. That's I love it. it. Yeah. That's beautiful. Peace. You are the man. Thank You're you. You're the man. All right. Y'all are good. All right. Peace. Peace. Nice to meet you, Otto.